All right. Well, if you don't have a Bible, there's extra ones back here. You need to grab them. Go ahead and do that now. Otherwise, we'll get going. So I want to give just a quick idea to those who are new this morning, kind of what we've been studying, okay? So you guys are jumping in. This past year, we talked about Philippians. We did a series on prayer. Um, we talked, did a long series called How to Quit Faking Your Faith and Become an Authentic Christian. And now, we have jumped into the book of Genesis, okay? So we're in Genesis, and we're calling the series getting to know God. And we've talked about how one way you get to know someone is you simply look at how they treat other people. And so we're looking at God and how does he treat the people in the Old Testament, specifically in Genesis, from the very beginning. And we've looked at creation, Adam and Eve, Noah, the Tower of Babel. We've done two, look, look, uh, two lessons on Abram. And today we're looking at God and Sarai and Hagar who are both going to interact with God in some respect, okay? So before we do that, we got a little video clip to get us on topic. I worry about diseases, so uh, I have trouble touching things. Uh, in public places, it's uh, almost impossible. I have a real big problem moving. Talk about moving. As long as I'm in my apartment, I'm okay. But when I want to go out, I get weird. Talk about weird. Talk about weird. Well, I get simplest way to put it is, I have problems, right? And so today, we're going to talk about problems. How many of you have problems? Okay, so we've got some problems. And so in today's passage, Sarai has a problem. Abram has a problem. If you look at chapter 16, the very first verse says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Who can tell us why this is a problem? Drew? That's exactly right. So God promised Abram that he would have a child and they have no children. In fact, he's promised him that he's going to become a great nation, that they're going to have so many children, it's going to be like the stars in the sky. And it's kind of hard to have lots of children when you don't have any children. You've got to start at least with one, right? Otherwise, 
There's nowhere to go from there. Now, we all have problems, and so I want you to begin today by simply thinking, what is the greatest problem you are facing right now? Okay, how would you answer that question? What causes you the most anxiety? What do you worry about? What do you want but you don't have? What changes are you waiting to see in your own life or in the lives of people around you? What is the biggest problem you have right now? Okay. I really want you to think about it because I want you to have it in your mind. Okay, now raise your hand if the problem you're thinking of is something that could be fixed tomorrow. It could be fixed within the week. Maybe, possibly. Okay, raise your hand if your problem requires you to wait longer than you'd probably like to see it fixed. It's going to take some time. Okay. Okay, well, sometimes when it comes to our problems, it's the waiting for it to be fixed that's actually harder than the problem itself. It's this question of how long do I have to wait? And sometimes the problem isn't really the problem. The problem is just the waiting, that I have to actually wait. So, for example, like not having children, that's a little problem. But the problem isn't that they don't have children because they haven't had children for a long time. The problem is that they have to keep waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering, is this really going to happen, God? You said you were going to give us children. So I want to go through some possible scenarios for someone your age, sixth grade all the way up to graduate from high school. I've brainstormed a few ideas, so let's think about these. Let's say that your problem is that you're not happy with some aspect of your social life. Okay, I don't know, maybe that touches on something that you thought about. For example, you might say, I want more friends. I want a friend. I want better friends who treat me better. Or maybe it's your parents and you think, I want to be closer to my parents. Or maybe it's, I want to be further from my parents. <laughs> I want freedom. I want more space. I want them to not breathe down my neck. I want to graduate. I want to move out. Okay. Now think about that. None of those things are going to change in just one day, right? Friendships take time. Relationships take time. And you're going to have to wait in order to see that problem resolved. Or maybe it's not your social situation. Maybe it's yourself that you're not happy with. And maybe you're not happy with your body right now. Maybe you're not happy with your intellect. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was more athletic. I wish I was more musical, I have more talents in music. Or maybe it's, I wish I was healthy. I wish that I had better health. I'm sick all the time. Okay, and we look around, we just say, I just I wish I was like that person over there. I'm not, well, development takes time, doesn't it? How many of you have had a point in your life where you're like, man, I just wish I was five years older? Yeah. Okay, definitely, I have definitely had that. Okay, wished I had bigger muscles, wish I was... Strong, you know, and obviously I've achieved it now, but there was a time when it was really difficult. <laughs> Actually, that one's not on the list anymore. I've kind of scratched that one off. We're moving on with other goals in life. All right. Um, that kind of stuff takes time. Or maybe you might just say, I'm not happy with my current age. 12 is not where I want to be. 13 is not where I want to be. 14 is not where I want to be. I want to be able to drive. Obviously, I have to be 16. 
I want to go to college. And unless I'm, you know, the boy genius who graduates when he's 12, it's probably going to be a little while before I go to college. Or maybe it's, I want to fall in love. Okay, I want to have a serious boyfriend, serious girlfriend. I want to get married. Okay, all of these things require us to probably wait a little bit longer. It's going to take some time for us to get there. So whatever our problems are, we're going to find out that when we look at this passage, you're in good company. Because Sarai, Hagar, they have problems. And what we're going to see is who God is in the midst of these problems. So I'm going to pray for our passage, pray for our time. And let's jump into the passage. God, you chose to reveal yourself to people. You didn't give us an instruction manual. You didn't um, just give us a book that described every detail about who you are. You gave us a story. You gave us a story that shows how you treat people, starting with um, Adam and Eve, working all the way through Abram and now to Sarah and Hagar. And so we ask that you would help us to see you for who you are, to be blessed by it, and to come away with greater faith and trust in you. Amen. So let's read 16, 1 through 6. And what we're going to see is our first point, which is there's a problem here, okay? So follow along. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, we have a question to answer here, which is, what the heck is happening here? And the answer is, well, this is actually an accepted practice back in Abram's day. That if you didn't have children as the woman, that you could give a slave to your husband and they could have a child through that slave and that child would be your child because the slave belonged to you and it's really your child. And so what they're doing here is an accepted practice back in Abram's day. It's not like if someone did that today, it well, today, we're, it's a pretty weird world we live in right now. So if someone did that 30 years ago, it'd be really like, whoa, what are they doing? Okay, today, maybe not so much. Um, but back then, it was an accepted practice. So right away, we have to ask ourselves, is this wrong? Did they do something wrong here? And one of the ways that we know it's wrong, the answer is yes, is we look at, well, what are the results? What happens because of this? Is it like, does it fix the problem? Well, let's find out. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Okay, so everything we see here is Sarai takes her slaves, gives her to Abram, you know, tells him, you know, to have a child. She does, the mission accomplished, but... Now, Hagar despises Sarah. She looks down on her. I had a baby. You couldn't do that. Okay? So what's the result? Then Sarai says to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Okay, there's a lot we could say on that point that we'll probably jump over, but not entirely true, right? If, if we look back, who gave Hagar to Abram? Who told Abram to sleep with Hagar? Yeah, this is all Sarai's idea, right? So, your, your fault. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So things are starting to unravel a little bit, aren't they? This is, this is, a, good, like, this is a good drama that we've got going on here. And so Abram, the man of faith, 
steps up to the plate and solves all the problems by saying, she's your slave, do whatever you want. Really good answer, Abram, right? One of the things that's interesting about this passage is that if we line up this passage with Adam and Eve in the fall, actually they're almost the same. Eve is standing there. She sees the fruit. She comes up with this idea. She takes the fruit. She gives the fruit to Adam. Adam eats of it. All chaos is unleashed. Sarah's sitting there. She has an idea. She sees her servant. She gives her servant to Abram. Abram takes the servant. All chaos is unleashed. So all the context is pointing to not a good idea. Okay? So your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarah and the Hagar. So she fled from her. Okay, so let's think about this. First point is this. How to make problems worse. Okay? Well, here's how to make problems worse. You ignore God. Notice how many times God is mentioned in this passage. Not very many times. And you decide that you're going to solve the problems all by yourself. That's a great formula for making your problems worse. Just think about where they've ended up. What was the whole point of this idea? To have a baby, right? to solve the problem of not having any children. And at the end, where is the baby? Inside who? Hagar, right? Hagar's the one who's pregnant. Inside Hagar, and where's Hagar? She's running away in the desert. Has it solved the problem? No, it didn't solve the problem at all, did it? Okay, so Sarai had this great idea that she was gonna take matters into her own hands, and in the end, everything turns out worse. So I want you to think about the problem that came to your mind. Think about your problem. How are you tempted to take this problem into your own hands and solve it? Are you being impatient with God? Are you trying to manipulate your surroundings in order to get what you want rather than waiting on God to act in his time and in his way? Let's think about some possible ways you could do this. In real life, let's say your problem is that you would say, I'm just not smart enough. My brothers, my sisters, they get better grades than I do. My parents have high expectations of me. I have high expectations of me. My teachers have high expectations of me. And I just can't get it right. I can't seem to live up to those expectations. Now, to solve this problem, which, to be honest, isn't really possible for everyone, God's made us all different. He's given us different intellects. I learned that very clearly in my family. I have four brothers and sisters who are adopted, which just means they don't have the same genetics that I do. And I have three brothers who aren't adopted, which means we all share kind of the same genetics. And both my parents are doctors. Okay, they've obviously done well. They're obviously a bunch of smarty pants. And, and so we've, we've done pretty good in school. And then I look at a brother or sister who doesn't have the same genetics as me, and they've, they've struggled academically. And it's helped me to see, oh, it's not because they're lazy. It's not because they didn't work hard. God just gave them certain gifts. And I've been more gifted in one area. They've been more gifted in another area. So you might say, if I was to solve the problem, it would take some time. I'd have to study. I'd have to work hard. But there's a shortcut. I could take matters into my own hands. And I could start looking over at the paper next to me during that exam, right? Or I could start borrowing a friend's homework and copying it down right before class. So these are shortcuts, but in the end, they're probably going to make matters worse, aren't they? They aren't going to actually solve the problem. So for example, when you sit down on that SAT exam to get into college, and you've copied your math homework from a friend for the last three years, probably not going to do so well, right? Problems are going to get worse. (coughs) 
Well, let's think about the problem of displeasure with your body. I wish I looked different. We'll stop right there. Or you could say the problem with a lack of freedom. I wish I could be out of the house. I wish I could go on and do what I want to do. Or perhaps the problem of wanting to do things that you know that you're going to have to wait until you're older to do. You want to look like you're 16, but you're only 14. You want to look like you're 21, but you're only 16. So how are you going to solve this problem? Maybe you're going to dress more provocatively. Maybe you're going to wear more makeup. Okay, this is one of the ways you could do this. And the result is you're going to start attracting possibly the wrong type of people. People who are attracted to the outside, not the inside, and get yourself into some very sticky situations. So let's say the problem is that you want to be in love. Okay? Movies are really good at making us want to be in love, right? Because they only show the good parts. Okay? So they show all the good parts and you come away. And you're like, love is so wonderful. I wish I could experience it. Those two 13-year-olds fell in love on the movie and everything worked out for them. I'm sure it'll work out for me. Right? And so, you know, you think, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and start asking girls out, start asking guys out. Um, you know, maybe we'll kiss a few guys, kiss a few girls. Um, and so we have this question of, am I really ready for this? I mean, think about it. Let's think, if you're sixth grade, we'll go to the extreme. Sixth grader, you get a boyfriend, you get a girlfriend. Realistically, oh, it happens. It definitely happens, right? Yeah, okay. It looks a little different than, than a boyfriend and girlfriend a few years later, but it happens, okay? How many of you, you guys, sixth graders, do you know boys and girls who are boyfriend, girlfriend? Yeah, okay, so it happens, right? No? You don't know any? Okay. Yeah, middle, it'll kick in in middle school. I've met a few just from hanging out at Hubble, all right? Um, let's say sixth graders, you have a boyfriend, girlfriend. If you want to wait until the day you graduate from graduation, you have 10 years before you will be getting married to that person if you are faithful and you stay in love for all those 10 years. That's a long time, and, and you're going through a lot of changes in life, okay? And, and you may, there's just a slight possibility that it's not going to work out. And what happens? Okay? Maybe I'm describing some of you in here. I'm describing myself. I crushed a lot when I was in middle school and high school. I asked out a lot of girls in middle school and high school. And I wish I would have had someone who would have told me it straight right from the beginning. I didn't, okay? And what happens is when that relationship breaks, it's heartache. It hurts. It's not fun. And you could save yourself from this heartache if you wait, okay? But we take the problem into our own hands and we think, I'm going to solve this now. I'm going to fall in love now. And really, God created love to be experienced in a marriage. That's the best place for it to be. And if you're not old enough to get married... In my opinion, you might want to reconsider whether or not you want to start falling in love left and right with people. Just wait until the right time, okay? Or, let's take it one step further. I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but it's important for us to talk about it because it shows up every single day in your life. So I'm going to talk about it in church. Let's say you want to have sex, okay? Which is a very natural desire, especially at this age. So, good desire, but created by God for marriage, right? best time for it to happen. So you take matters into your own hands. Let's say you're, six, uh, you're 16, 17, and you do have a girlfriend. You start pushing the boundaries. 
and you start saying, well, we're not really going to have sex, but let's, and you start pushing that line as to what's acceptable. And who knows, maybe you go all the way someday. Or you take it in your own hands, but you look at pornography. Okay, you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but I'm going to at least look at this because it's right there. Um, I can, it's easy for me to look at, especially in this day and age. And you start obsessing over something that really was supposed to be saved for a much later date. Okay? Not that there's ever a date when pornography is good to look at. Okay? But it should only be done, uh, you should only experience sex in marriage. That's what God created for. And what's the result? You take matters into your own hands, and the result, I mean, the results are many, but one major result is usually guilt, shame. You struggle with the fact that you've sinned. You, you struggle every time you go through something like this. Um, more results, pregnancy, okay, having children, that's a result, all right? And it's not good. It's just a mess, isn't it? And so what I want you to see is that all sorts of problems we have in our life, when we take matters into our own hands, we make them worse. So what should we do? What's the right answer? Well, the right answer is to look at what God does and look at who God is in the midst of our problems. So let's start by looking at who God is in the midst of our problems. Hagar's got a big problem. Okay, she's off in the desert, pregnant, and the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness and the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Now that's really important. This word Ishmael means something. The word for God is Elohim, which starts with these letters E-L. And whenever we see L shortened and stuck at the end of a name, God is somewhere in that name. So, for example, Israel ends with E-L, and it has to do with God. Ishmael, when we translate it, means God hears. So he says, name your baby God hears. He hears you because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand is against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, which means God, the God who sees. And it lies between Kadesh and Bere. Okay, so here we have two very important, actually three very important things about God. We see that in the midst of her problem, number two, we see that God cares about her problem. Because God hears her and God sees her. And not only does God hear her and see her, he does something about it, doesn't he? Now, how many of us in the midst of our problems feel alone? Feel all by yourself? You feel like no one can relate. Have you ever felt like saying, man, I just wish you could understand. You can't understand what I'm going through. We wish we had someone who cared enough about us that they would understand what we were going through, would listen to us, and essentially would take care of us in the midst of our problems. But we see in the example of Hagar that that's exactly who God is. God is a God who listens, who sees, and who takes care of us in the midst of our problems. So this leads us to this question. Well, actually, first, I want to fast forward really quick, give you a quick picture that comes later. Later on, 
Sarai is met by three strange visitors. They come to visit Abraham, actually. He feeds them food, and it seems like God is one of these visitors. And the visitor says, where is Sarai? And then he goes on to say, Sarai will have a baby within a year. And Sarai is in the tent listening, and she starts laughing. And the visitor says, why is Sarai laughing? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so one of the big themes that we get in Sarai's lifetime is that not only does God care about you, but he's actually able to do something about it. Nothing is too hard for God. When you look at your problem and you hold it out to God, it's not too hard for him to fix. And so it leads us to this question of, well, then why in the world is he making me wait before fixing it? We talked about how waiting is oftentimes harder than the actual problem. Why doesn't God just solve my problems? God could miraculously make me older. God could make me smarter. God could make me better looking, more athletic, more popular. He could heal my body so I don't struggle with health anymore. He could heal my relationships. God could remove all the things that I'm fearing, struggling with. So we have to ask the question, why doesn't God fix everything if he can do it? And that's where point number three comes in. Point number three is, you have a bigger problem than your problems. What we see in the life of Abraham and Sarai is that what they thought was their biggest problem, that they didn't have children, really wasn't their biggest problem. They had a bigger problem. And what God does to help them see their bigger problem is he makes them wait. And that's exactly what God's going to do for you. You think you have problems, and you do, and they're tough, and they're hard, and they hurt, but you have a bigger problem. And God wants you to wait so that you can recognize just what that bigger problem is. Well, let's ask, what is that bigger problem? Well, for Sarai and Abram, they wanted the land that they were promised, and they wanted children. I want you to think that, first of all, let's think, how long did they have to wait? Well, in the text we see, they waited 25 years before God gave them children. Now, those of you who have taken biology class, you know that for a woman, there's one time every month that possible of getting pregnant, okay? Which means 12 times a year, Sarai could have gotten pregnant, okay? Which means probably 12 times a year, Abraham and Sarai looked at each other and said, do you think it's this month? Are we pregnant this month? And when we multiply 12 times 25, we get... 300 times Sarai and Hagar or Sarai and Abraham had to look at each other and say we're not pregnant it didn't happen this month we still have to wait not again that's a long time to wait so what's this big problem that God is wanting them to get well the big problem they have is that they don't trust God and they don't believe in God they don't have faith in God and so for you it's exactly the same the problem that God wants you to realize before he's going to fix your other problems is that he wants you to trust him in the midst of your problems and believe that he can fix your other problems. So let's think about it. If you were to die tomorrow, you were to die today. This is a topic that comes up a lot, doesn't it, in our talks here. But if you were to die today, what would be more important? That you'd fallen in love? That you'd experienced your 16th birthday? That you'd aced your ACTs? That you'd had an amazingly close friend? That you'd gotten married? That you'd gone away to college? Or that you believed and had faith in God? 
standing before the judgment throne of God, there's only one of those which is going to determine where you go next. That is your biggest problem. Your biggest problem in life is to discern, do I believe and do I trust in God? Okay, so in order to recap all of this, we try to solve our problems on our own, and it makes matters worse, just like Sarah did. God cares for us in the midst of our problems. He sees us. He hears us. But God knows that we have an even bigger problem than what we think is our biggest problem, and it's that we lack faith in him. That is why God makes us wait so that we will have to trust in him and say, you know what, God, I trust you. I believe that you have a plan for me. I trust that your timing is better than my timing. I'm willing to wait for you to give me good things because I know that your plans are better. And so that's why he makes us wait. So for us to close today, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take a minute, and we're just going to close our eyes where we're at, and pray three different things. First, hopefully you've had a problem exposed in your mind that you've been thinking of, and I want you to confess the ways to God that you've tried to solve your own problem without his help. Second, thank God that he's with you in the midst of your problems. And third, ask God to grow your faith in him as you wait and trust him to fix your problems. So three things. Feel free to glance up at the screen as you pray. Or we're just going to take a minute to pray, and then I'll close us. God, we just pray that you will reveal to us where we need to confess our sin to you and trust in you, that you would give us the faith that we need in order to follow you. And we thank you that you are with us, that you are near to us, that you're a God who cares, who hears, and who sees. And we just ask that you will give us strength in the midst of the problems that we have, the areas that we struggle, to trust in you, to let you be in control and not to take control ourselves. And would you graciously allow us to rejoice as we see our problems resolved, knowing that you resolved it in a way that was much cleaner and much better and much easier than if we would have taken matters into our own hands. And for those problems where we have taken matters into our own hands, I just pray that you'll help us to hand them back over to you and to trust in you with those as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Hope to see you Wednesday if you are sticking around. And if you're going to high school retreat Tuesday, make sure you get those forms signed for me. Bring them back if possible. That'd be great.